Hey Tammuz, Tafshinayin Chet, coming to you live from the headquarters of Ariel Tours in New York, I'm Mayor Weingarten. Welcome to the Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network. <laughs>
Yaakov Shweki gets things started here on the Israel Show with 8 Recode. We are here each and every Monday immediately following JM in the AM. Translates to 9 AM Eastern Time, 4 PM Israel Time. Around the world, wherever you are, that's the time we're on. Whatever time it is, that's the time we're on. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Hopefully you know what I'm saying. Hopefully I know what I'm saying. We had a little technical difficulty. Now we're over that. Thank you all for tuning in and making us a part of your week. We have a blockbuster, but I mean blockbuster, show for you today. This is something I I came across in the Israeli media. Shockingly, nobody has discussed it. Not... uh, I haven't, I haven't heard it discussed um, anywhere, basically, other than the original uh, source. And, um, yeah, now we're cool. Thank you. Thank you, one and all. Um, other than the original time that uh, I saw this on Israeli television, I have not seen it discussed anywhere, and it is shocking to me uh, that that's the case. So what are we talking about that is the question, and here's the answer if I get my papers together. We had a little bit of a rocky start, but now we're okay. So today we're going to expose meddling. Meddling. You hear that a lot in the news today, right? For months we've been hearing, the, 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 especially the Democrat Party leadership, saying, foreign governments trying to influence our election. Oh my God, it's an open attack on our country and on our democracy. Well... What about meddling of the worst kind by the United States in an Israeli election? Well, today we're going to share that with you. An expose was uh, originally on uh, Arutz Eser, Israel Channel 10, which is actually not going to be around for very long. It's uh, merging with uh, Channel 2, whatever, long story, doesn't matter really. Um, Israeli Channel 10 had a series of um, exposés about the uh, Israeli prime ministers and in each case specific difficult decisions that they made and what came of those decisions. It was called Hakabarni Tim. And... Um, on the one regarding Shimon Peres, part of that was a um, interviews with Americans, American officials, and that's what we're going to share with you today. Um, here's some of the background. We're going to get right to it, and we'll go to some music, and then we'll come back. In, uh, in August of 1993, all right, imagine that, August of 1993, the Oslo agreements are signed on the lawn of the White House. The famous handshake between Yitzhak Rabin and Yasser Arafat. A lot of hope. A lot of hope. But there were a lot of people out there that felt that uh, this is not going in the right direction. Not surprisingly, not soon after that, in October of 1993, a car bomb went off near Beit El. 29 were injured. In 1994, five 
car bombs in Israel. In Afula, eight are dead. In Chadera, five are dead. All of these are suicide bombers sent by Hamas, but had to be there had to be some complicity of Yasser Arafat to it. At least, it was either there was complicity of Yasser Arafat, or Yasser Arafat didn't do enough to stop it. And that was part of his job in this Oslo agreement. It was the Palestinians who were supposed to rein in their radicals and their terrorists. October 1994, Dizengoff Street bombing, center of Tel Aviv, 22 dead, Nitzarim Juncture, Junction bomb, bicycle bombing, that's in November of 1994, three dead. Binyane suicide bombing in December of 1994, 13 injured. Well, a lot of Israelis are getting very upset. All the euphoria about peace was, was, was blown away by the constant suicide bombing attacks coming from the Arab side. And the Israeli administration, led by Yitzhak Rabin, were furious at Yasser Arafat. Behind the scenes, they were yelling and screaming, and he did whatever he wanted to do. And this continued. In 1995, Beit Lead massacre, 21 dead, and two bombers, suicide bombers, the Rum bus attack. This is where our dear friends, the Flatos from New Jersey, lost their daughter. Eight dead. July, Ramat Gan. You're, you're talking about city centers now. Tel Aviv, Ramat Gan, Beit Lid, very central within the quote unquote green line. Six dead in the Ramat Gan bombing. August, Ramad Eshkol, Yerushalayim, four dead. And yes, Israelis are fed up. Yitzhak Rabin says we're going to fight terrorism as if there was no Oslo, Oslo agreement, or peace process as they called it. And we're going to continue with the peace process as if there's no terrorism. But a lot of people in Israel were not happy. And there was a lot of a fear, fear. People were afraid to, to ride buses. People were afraid to even drive their car and be near a bus. Those of you who were around then, who were following Israel, remembered how terrific of a situation this was. And then on the 4th of November, 1995, in a cursed day in Israeli and Jewish history, Yitzhak Rabin is assassinated by another Jew, Yigal Amir, a kippah-wearing Jew, I don't want to say religious, a kippah-wearing Jew, who is motivated supposedly by, by religious fervor. He sits in jail to this very day and will probably never be released. And that creates major havoc in Israel. It is a crisis. It is a terrible crisis. Shimon Peres becomes prime minister, puts together a new government, 
And there's no question that Shimon Peres eventually is going to call for elections. He wasn't elected. He became prime minister as the result of the assassination of Yitzhak Rabin. And the question is, when are these elections going to be? There were those who said to him, declare elections immediately, because the public feels such an attachment now to Rabin, Peres, that part of the political spectrum and those particular people, that he's assured a victory. There are those who said, no, give it time. Let things calm down, and so forth, and so on, back and forth. Eventually, Shimon Peres decides that the elections are going to take place on the 29th of May, 1996. 29th of May, 1996. Now, between this time of 4th of November, 1995, the assassination of Yitzhak Rabin, and the 29th of May, 1996, the elections, the following suicide bombings took place. In February, 1996, an Ashkelon bus station bombing, one dead. Jerusalem bus number 18 suicide bombing in February, this is the first of two, 26 dead. The second time, bus number 18, was blown up by a suicide bomber. March the 3rd, 1996, 19 dead. Dizengoff Center, March the 4th, I think, if I remember correctly, this was around Purim time. March the 4th, 13 dead. And so, Israel is getting closer to elections on the 29th of May, while throughout the whole month of February and March, they're being bombed, suicide bombed to death and as you can imagine the sympathy for Shimon Peres who is who is seen as the man who brought us the Oslo agreement the sympathy for him is going down 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 with every terrorist attack he's losing more support people are saying if we're scared to go out in the street what kind of peace have you brought us And he's being portrayed as a very weak leader. That is the history, the lead-up, the background to the elections of May 1996. We'll go to some music, and then we'll come back, and we will play for you the damning clips of the American involvement Involvement is, is, a, is an understatement. Meddling is an understatement. It's just amazing the extent that the United States tried to influence those elections between Shimon Peres and, we should say, on the other side, Benjamin Netanyahu of the Likud, who was running against Peres. And... Benjamin Netanyahu was promising people security through strength. Paris was promising people we will fight the terrorists, but we will continue in the um, in the Oslo process. This is brand new from Hanan Ben Ari Bisarot Tovot. 
off of the album Lola Vada. I love this one. Give us some good news. <laughs> I agree. You're tuned to the Israel Show. My name is Mayor Weingarten, and we are coming to you on the Nachum Siegel Network. another up-and-coming superstar and orthodox 
superstar of Israeli music who crosses the lines. Tevasrili Psarot Tavot, give me good news. I'm assuming he's addressing his wife, I'm not sure. Kamosharak Atyudat Levaser, like only you know how to do. Rak Tevasrili Psarot Tavot, give me only good news. And Eloya Cholishmachadashoyater, can't listen to the news anymore, <laughs> meaning the regular news, so he's asking his wife. Right? And there's a whole list of all the great things that he would like to hear. Like, sorrow, surrender to joy, we found the cure for cancer, there are no more wars to fight, and so on and so forth. Great catchy tune as well. I like it. Hanan Ben-Ari, my name is Mayor Weingarten, you're tuned to The Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network. And we have just uh, shared with you the build-up, the background to the um, elections of 1996 in the state of Israel, they took place in May of 1996. Shimon Peres, who had taken over for Yitzhak Rabin after he was assassinated, is running against Benjamin Netanyahu. One believes when he announced that he's running and that the, the date for the elections would be May the 29th, he, be, he believed, Shimon Peres believed, that the sympathy of the country would be so much with them, with him and his party, that uh, it would be a shoo-in. But as we got closer and closer to the elections, the terror bombings, the suicide bombings, got worse and worse. February and March of 96. Let's see. 27, 46. 59 Jews were murdered in suicide attacks. And as the elections were getting closer and the terrorism got got bigger... The terrorist attacks continued, became more frequent. It seems that Shimon Peres's chances were going down. It has been long suspected, acknowledged, I don't know, whatever you want to call it, that President Bill Clinton, who saw himself as part of the Oslo process, the fact is that the agreement was signed on the lawn of the White House, that he stood between Rabin and Arafat and pushed both of them toward each other to shake their hands. He felt a part of this. He surely, as so many in the left in America, did not want to see Benjamin Netanyahu become prime minister. And so the United States did whatever they could to help out Shimon Peres. That's the way it's always been viewed. For example, there was a big conference, international conference, where President Clinton got the leaders of the world, the major leaders of the world, including the Arab world, to come to Sharm el-Sheikh and declare their, their well, we, we should say to condemn terrorism. It was a, a a conference, an international conference to condemn terrorism, and all the Arabs were there, and all the European leaders were there, but it really 
was a Shimon Peres support group. So many have always seen it that way, but it's never been said in so many words. And so this is the reveal. It comes from um, the um, series of programs on Arutz Esser, Israel's Channel 10, called HaKabarni Team. The leaders and each show focused on one prime minister and one or two specific decisions that they made during their tenure and how it affected them and uh, and how it affected uh, the uh, the rest of Israel. And as part of the Shimon Peres installment, Raviv Drucker, the um, the correspondent who who presented this uh, this series, got an interview with President Clinton. That's a pretty big wow. So we're going to play for you clips of President Clinton and others in his administration about their involvement in the elections of 1996. And, you know, if all you're going to hear now is this first nine-second clip, I think you'll have the picture in its entirety, but we're going to get, we're going to get even more into it as we go on, and you'll see how much deeper he digs the hole uh, President Clinton does. Here is President Clinton's answer, the question of uh, Ravid and uh, President Clinton's answer. Will it be fair to say that on April 1996, you tried to help Shimon Peres to win the election? That would be fair to say. I mean, is that incredible? <laughs> is that incredible? Is it fair to say that in April 96, you tried to help Shimon Peres win the elections? That would be fair to say. The President of the United States is admitting in public before the world. Yeah. We meddled. We tried to influence. I mean, meddling is, is, a, is a light word for this. We tried to influence the elections in Israel against Netanyahu and for Paris. And then, and then he starts the, the rationalization. Okay? Here, here's the first one. I, tr- I tried to do it in a way that didn't um, overtly involve me. Oh, he tried. He, he, he meddled. He used influence of the United States to change the election results in Israel, but he did it in a way that wouldn't overtly involve him. Oh, my God. And there was good reason for him to do this. Now he's going to tell you. The fact that he he basically wanted to subvert Israeli democracy... The fact that he feels that he knows better what's good for Israel than the Israeli voting public. Can you imagine somebody coming to the United States and saying, I am going to um, try and get this person elected in your, for your presidency because I know that he's better for you. How condescending could that be? So, so here he is. We tried to be helpful to him. This is, this is, this is President Clinton. I did try to be helpful to him because I thought he was more supportive of the peace process. 
And I tried to do it in a way that was consistent with what I believe to be in Israel's interest without saying anything about the difference in domestic policies without anything else. Oh, he's a tzaddik. He didn't, he didn't discuss domestic policies at all. He didn't get involved in domestic policies. No, no, no. He only got involved because he wanted to, he thought Paris would be more supportive of the peace process. That was clear. And, and he did this in a, a, a way that was consistent with what I believe to be in Israel's interest. So Bill Clinton is basically saying this. I, I decided that I would subvert your democracy. I decided what's best for Israel's interest. And therefore, I helped Shimon Peres against Bibi Netanyahu. It doesn't matter what you vote. It doesn't matter what the people of Israel want. What I believe, quote, President Clinton, what I believe to be in Israel's interest. (sighs) Crazy, right? Now, two high-ranking administration diplomats who were were for decades involved in the Middle East. One is Aaron David Miller, the other is Dennis Ross, names that are familiar to anyone who who uh, is familiar with Israel and uh, the United States Israel relationship. Here is Aaron David Miller on this subject in uh, in an interview to uh Ravid. We actively, including the Sharmoshek summit actively ran a kind of re-election campaign for Shimon Peres. We, says Aaron David Miller, senior advisor to President Clinton, we actively ran a kind of re-election campaign for Shimon Peres. Why isn't this infuriating people? That I can't understand. Why has this revelation not been shouted from the rooftops? The President of the United States literally tried to hijack the Israeli democracy. Dennis Ross, here's what he had to say about this. There's no question that there's an effort to help Paris. Well, there's an unbelievable embrace from the President um, now it's clear that President Clinton goes kind of overboard. You know, he goes beyond what I think is wise to do. There's no question, he says. There's no question about the collusion, so to speak, between the United States administration and Shimon Peres, and that he went overboard. Clinton did beyond what he would, beyond what he would have done. And uh, we're not done. Oh, no. We're not done yet. He now goes on to explain, President Clinton does, 
what happened? I mean, with all, <laughs> it's an embarrassment, with all the American support that Shimon Peres has, why didn't he win the election? President Obama has to, President Obama, I'm sorry. President Clinton, at the time, has to explain what happened. Now, what they're not telling you in all of this is an important piece of information. That election, the 1996 election, was the first time that, in, the first time and only once of two times, because later it, it was abolished, a system, it was the first time that the system where the prime minister was elected on a separate ballot from the remaining Knesset members was was carried out. So if you went into the poll booth, usually in Israel, you pick a, a note, yeah, I know, a little piece of paper, not a machine of any sort. You take a little piece of paper and you vote for a party. Whoever heads that party, if they get the ability to put together a coalition, is the prime minister. But... At that time, the law was changed. It was thought that maybe this would be a better procedure. Later, later it was discovered that it wasn't. But at that point, there were two votes taking place at one time. You walked into the voting booth. There was one envelope where you put in Shimon Peres or Benjamin Netanyahu, and another where you put in the party. So, if you're voting for Shas, if you're voting for Aguda, if you're voting for... Um, what was then the Mafdal, the, today the Bayit Yehudi. If you're voting for any of these religious or right-wing parties, the other envelope that you're putting into the ballot box is Benjamin Netanyahu. So, in normal elections, the ones that are were before this and, and, and after, and the, the way they are now, normal elections, you have to choose. So if you're, you're a Shas person, you put in Shas. If you're in a Gouda, you put in a Gouda. Whatever it is, you put in one ballot. And then the prime minister has to put together a coalition. In that election, all the people who voted for the other parties were united behind Netanyahu. So it is not shocking that he had a chance. That's not mentioned in this report, but I think that's such an important part of the whole equation that was taking place. Okay, we continue. Now, President Clinton says, here's one of the reasons that Benjamin Netanyahu um, might have pulled out a victory at the end. He starts explaining the history there. Netanyahu ran a modern political campaign of the type that had never been run before in Israel. And he got this uh, Republican political consultant in New York to help him on a whole series of negative television ads, which Perez was clueless about. I mean, he'd never been in that kind of campaign. So Netanyahu got an advisor a political consultant, a Republican, from New York. In a lot of places, that's a, that's a slur. It's, it's New York. You know, those New York people. Because the consultant's name is Finkelstein, you can imagine that he's Jewish, 
Yeah, he's from New York. I don't know why that was important. Anyway, let's put that aside for a moment. And started running, running negative campaigns. And Nebuch, Nebuch, as uh, President Clinton, Nebuch Shimon Paris didn't know what to do. He was lost. Never seen such a thing. As if he has no advisors. Nothing. Okay. But again, remember, President Clinton has to absolve himself of the defeat. He's got to explain that he did the right thing, President Clinton did. He advised Paris. He warned Paris about this negative campaigning. But Paris didn't wake up early enough. And as a result, he lost. And I kept saying privately, uh, look, these things worked. I lost an election in 1980 because I didn't answer negative ads. And I never made the mistake again. You've got to deal with this. So the President of the United States, now this is a more private thing. This is maybe one could see this as more legitimate. The President of the United States is telling Shimon Peres, listen, he's using negative ads against you. You've got to answer. Because I'm telling you from experience, negative ads work. We all claim to hate negative ads, but shockingly, Negative ads work. And that, once that was discovered, our whole political system has just really devolved. It's gone down the drain. The culture of political discussion. And the last little soundbite that we have. Listen carefully to the wording. So Perez did not listen to President Clinton, or he listened he too late. He started to listen too late, and by that time, it was um, Netanyahu sort of got too much of a lead. Notice that there's no talk about the fact that there were suicide bombers that Jews were being killed en masse in the major city centers, that Jews were afraid to walk out of their homes in Yerushalayim and in other places. None of that had anything to do with anything. It was Bibi Netanyahu's negative campaign ads that sunk Shimon Peres. Amazing. This guy has... Well, we know how much chutzpah Bill Clinton has. We, we know how he can look you in the face and, and, and lie and wag his finger. But the time he dealt with it, it was so late in the campaign that he got, I don't know, 90% or more of the Arab vote. But Netanyahu beat him badly enough in the Jewish vote that he sneaked in with about a 1% victory, as I remember. Yeah, he remembers correctly. The, 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 the margin of victory was small. It was 1%. It's actually even a little less than 1%. So the Arabs all voted. I like how he says that. He, he got over 90% of the Arab vote. Duh. But Bibi got enough of the Jewish vote. Listen to the wording. That he sneaked in. 
with all your attempts to thrill this election, Mr. Clinton, on behalf of Shimon Paris, for all your meddling, for all your conferences and international exposure, all your advice, the people of Israel, overwhelmingly the Jews in Israel, chose Benjamin Netanyahu. So imagine if the margin of victory was about a percent or a little less than one percent, and 90% of the Arabs voted for Perez. So a lot more than one percent of the Jews gave their vote, a lot more, the majority of more than one percent gave their vote to Benjamin Netanyahu. So the overall, a, a large number of, of the Jewish vote, I, I don't have a statistic, but it's obviously a large number of the Jewish vote, rejected Shimon Peres, rejected the Oslo agreements, rejected where the direction that Israel was going, but Bill Clinton knows better. And somehow, Netanyahu sneaked in. Shameful. I gotta say, I think Americans should be ashamed And I think the Clintons need to be called out. President Clinton, Bill Clinton, needs to be called out. He needs to be confronted about this. He openly talks about this with Ravid Drucker on Israeli television at the time that in America, everybody in his party, in the Democrat party, is all all ablaze, all upset about supposed intervention by Russia in the American elections. Not a good thing. But is it okay for America to blatantly intervene in Israeli elections and try and throw them in a direction that is clearly against the will of so many Jews who live in Israel at such a difficult time? Wow. Well, there you have it. You can make your own decision whether whether the media has done its job here in exposing this uh, this story. Has anybody discussed this? I don't know. And if they did, it surely wasn't with any great fanfare. I waited a week too. I figured that somebody's going to pick it up in America. Where a senior advisor to the President of the United States said we basically were running sort of a re-elect Shimon Paris campaign. We actively, Aaron David Miller, we actively ran a kind of re-election campaign for Shimon Paris. We should be pretty embarrassed. Go to some music. Run Rishon. I had not heard of him before, but he's been around for a little while. The name of the song is Hamis Sovev, meaning God, the one who makes things happen. And uh, he's joined here by Yishai Rebo. Interesting new style of Israeli music. Hope you enjoy it as much as I did. My name is Mayor Weingarten. You're tuned to The Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network.
Israeli music scene Ran Rishon together with Yishai Rebo in this case Hamisovev he composes and writes the words one of those uh, really talented young new stars of Israeli music and he's clearly going places he has some more pieces out we'll try and share them with you in the coming weeks we don't have a lot of time but I just want to touch upon one more issue um we mentioned on this show, and we were excited about this, that for the first time in the history of the State of Israel, there will be an official visit by a member of the royal family. Remember that it was the United Kingdom that um, was given a proxy to be a proxy for the Jewish people over the land of Israel after World War One, they were supposed to use that to create a Jewish national homeland in what is today the state of Israel, including Yehudan Shamron, and what is today Jordan. 
And they did such a good job of that, as we can imagine. And so they didn't want to have anything to do really with Israel. They're not thrilled at the Jews. They never were. They, they had one high point, the Balfour Declaration. And we can't take that away from them. But everything after that was downhill. A lot of Jewish blood on their hands when Jewish refugees tried to escape the Holocaust and come to Israel. And even after the Holocaust, how they closed the gates of what was then Palestine under the British control. Anyway, we were somewhat happy. But now, it seems, the uh, the palace has um, revealed the um, itinerary. This is I'm reading to you from the official release of the uh, the royal court. Title is The Duke of Cambridge is visit to Jordan, Israel and the occupied Palestinian territories. Duke of Cambridge is uh, known to some as Prince William. His Royal Highness the Duke of Cambridge will visit Jordan, Israel and the occupied Palestinian territories from Sunday, June 24th until Thursday the 28th of June at the request of Her Majesty's government. Now, the title is enough to infuriate you. He's not going to visit in the Palestinian Authority, which is the way most politically correct, I guess, uh, um, and, and diplomatic language would, use, would be used in most cases. So he would visit Jordan, Israel, and the Palestinian Authority. No, he's going to the occupied Palestinian territories. Oh, wow. Now listen to this. It's 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 a week from today that he's arriving in Israel, so you know we'll be able to follow up if this happens. But he's going to be in uh, going to be staying at the King David Hotel. Although he's not going to do very much in Jerusalem, he has three things. He's going to visit Yad Vashem. He is going to uh, visit the residence and and uh, of Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. Meet with him and Mrs. Netanyahu, and he'll have a meeting with the president, President Rivlin, at his residence. That's pretty much it for Jerusalem. But wait, no, no, you, that's what you think, right? Then the Duke will travel to historic city of Jaffa, and His Royal Highness will travel to the cent- to Central Tel Aviv and do stuff and. And then he'll have a reception at the residence of Her Majesty's Ambassador. Oh, I hate all this gobbledygook of, of Royal Highness and Majesty and all that stuff. Um, at the residence of the Ambassador, which is also not in Jerusalem. And then he'll return to Jerusalem. And the next morning, he'll go, he's going back to Tel Aviv and he'll spend the day in Tel Aviv. I don't understand why he's sleeping in Jerusalem. Maybe just to make the Jews feel happy a little bit. I, I'm not really sure what the point of sleeping in Jerusalem is if you're going to spend most of your day outside of Jerusalem. Anyway, wait, because this is where the, the really bad part starts. From here, the program will shift to its next leg. The Occupied Palestinian Territories. Not disputed. Occupied. And their Palestinian territories. Who said? The Duke will travel to Ramallah, where he will meet with Palestinian Authority President Mahmoud Abbas, and so forth and so on. But here's the... Here's the here is now the epitome of chutzpah. 
The next day's program in the occupied Palestinian territories will begin with a short briefing on the history and geography of Jerusalem's old city from a viewing point on the Mount of Olives. Do you, do you understand what this means? He will visit the old city of Jerusalem as part of his visit to the occupied Palestinian territories. Is this not one of the biggest slaps in the face that we could imagine? You know what? Stay home. Really? Don't come to Israel on the quote-unquote celebratory first visit ever to the state of Israel and then spit in our face by saying you're going to visit the old city of Jerusalem as part of your visit to the Palestinian Authority and those are the people who are going to show them around. I hope this has changed. But if it's not, I hope that Prime Minister Netanyahu doesn't find time in his schedule to meet him, I gotta say. Okay, we're out of time, so uh, we're going to um, close out with a classic, Shalom Lach Eretz Nehederet. The song, originally an English song, City of New Orleans, was written by Stephen Goodman, a nice uh, Jewish-American. The Hebrew words were composed by Ilan Goldhirsch, and the reason I'm playing it to close out the show today is that Ilan Goldhirsch passed away recently, so we do that as a tribute to him in memorial. And we will close out the show with that, not before we thank you so much for listening. Thanks for your Facebook likes and comments. Thanks to the staff at the Nachum Siegel Network. And my very special thanks, as always, to Nachum Siegel. Coming up on the Nachum Siegel Network, Yoni Pollock and Seth Gordon with after further review covering the latest in the world of sports. And then Novak now with Jake Novak. And today's edition, Jake Novak will tackle three topics. The Torah and immigration, Harvard's bringing back the Jewish quota, but for Asians, and what's the deal with George Soros? And after that, the great Monday Music Marathon. Until next Monday, immediately following Jamie the AM, this is Mayor Weingarten reminding you that nice guys do not finish last. Oh no, they're just running in a different race. הייתי בפריז וגם ברומא, ראיתי את שבעת פלאי תבל, בקוטב הצפוני וגם דרומא, אך אין מקום כמו ארץ ישראל, וכמו גלויות של נוף יפות, תמונות בזיכרוני עפות, כמו בעד עדשה של מצלמה. ותרמילי אותן אשא לכל מקום, בכל מסע, קטעי פסיפס מתוך תמונה שלמה. שלום לך ארץ נהדרת, עבדך הדל נושא לך שיר מזמור, גם אם לעיתים נודד אני על דרך, מה טוב לנדוד אך טוב יותר לחזור. צריכי המגדלים בירושלים, בסמטאות השוק הצבעוני, 
גגות הרעפים של גבעתיים, הניבטים מפעד חלונים, את האוויר בתל אביב, את סבתי ואת סבי, את החלב, את נרות שבת, את ים המלח מול אדום, ואשת לוט צופה לשדום, ואת הקיץ אורך האלת. שלום לך ארץ נהדרת. עבדך הדל נושא לך שיר מזמור, גם אם לעיתים נודד אני על דרך, מה טוב לנדוד אך טוב יותר לחזור. מימיה הכחולים של הכנרת, והרקיע התואם מעט והרגשת הבית המוכרת, בתוך אורכי זורמת כמו חשמל. הרי גליל והשומרון, הפרדסים שבשרון, וילדים בגן המושבה. את הכרמל ואת הים, אחד אחד ואת כולם, תמיד קורצים אומרים ברוך הבא. שלום לך ארץ נהדרת. עבדך הדל נושא לך שיר מזמור, גם אם לעיתים נודד אני על דרך, מה טוב לנדוד אך טוב יותר לחזור.